This week's scripture reading comes to us from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Here ends the reading. As I mentioned earlier, next week I will be ordained into Christian ministry with the Christian Universalist Association. It's been quite a long process. I've been in the, the ministry formation process for about 10 years now. It started back when I was uh, still attending a Unitarian Universalist church in Austin, and I was the youth director there, and I've been working with the youth, uh, the high school and middle school youth, and I felt called to, uh, to ministry. When I asked other ministers at the time how they knew they were called, well, what they said was that it was just something that if you were called to do it, you could not help but do it. There was no way you could do anything else. Paul's letter reminds me of a time when my, my child was young, maybe six or seven years old, and we started a, a Campfire USA club. Campfire USA is a, a, a co-ed scouting organization. Um, when I was a kid, I grew up in the Boy Scouts, and the Boy Scouts are now co-ed in the U.S., but they weren't at the time. And so I started this, this group. I mean, I didn't start Campfire USA, but I started a Campfire USA club in my area at the Unitarian Church um, with the help of several families. We had about a dozen families in the group. And so when we would go camping, uh, which we did often, uh, we would have about a dozen children, all in the age somewhere between 6 and 10. And we'd have about 10 to 20 adults, depending on, on the weekend. So we, it was definitely a family affair. I mean, everybody came. And what amazed me when I was doing it is that the reason I started the group was because it seemed like it needed to be done. The church I was at didn't have an organization like this already. Um, they didn't they didn't have a group that we could join with these young kids uh, to do this with. And so I thought, well, let's start one. It didn't really occur to me that that might be an unusual reaction to that situation. I guess other people might think, oh, well, nothing can be done. Um, but I, my thought was, well, let's start something. 
And when I got started, I knew that I couldn't be teaching and, and leading the kids all the time, that I would need help. And so I enlisted the other parents to help me with things. But the things that I, that I did do, I, I led the group. I decided on when we would have meetings and things. I worked very closely with my wife, who was my, my co-leader. Um, and we would plan trips and we would uh, schedule um, events and we would uh, work out like what campsite we were going to and where and get maps to people and come up with a list of activities and whatever. But then when we actually went on the camp out, uh, I didn't really do much. I, I left it in the hands of the other parents to really run the camp out, to do the cooking and, and to wrangle the kids and to take them on nature hikes and to teach classes and things. Uh, but, but I handle all of kind of the back, the behind the scenes stuff. And it just fit naturally for me. And, and people told me they were, they were so happy that I was there to do that. I, I mean, I didn't think anything of it. But they said, I can't believe that, uh, that we're so lucky because we can go and do, these, do this camp out. And we don't have to worry about any of this. We just have to show up on the day of the camp out. And for me, I thought the opposite. I thought, oh, man, how lucky am I? I don't have to actually run around with the kids. I can just do all the planning. <laughs> and then the parents will lead the group. Um, when I get there, oh, that's so great. So we, we both won. We all won from that situation. And it was a great experience, one of the best experiences of my life. So this experience reminds me of this reading from Paul. And to get a little bit of information, let's, let's, let's go back a bit and think about this. This reading comes from Paul's letter to the Romans. Um, the New Testament, the, the book of, Christians, of Christian scriptures that are separate from the Jewish scriptures, which we often call the Old Testament, is composed of a couple of different sections. It's, it's got, at the, at the beginning of it, it's got four Gospels. And the Gospels are stories of, of Jesus' life. They're um, stories of the life and teachings and death of Jesus Christ. And then after that, there's a, a book called Acts that gives the history of the early church, the very early church, starting from the death of Jesus up through... Um, the kind of life and uh, of the apostles. And then there's a whole bunch of letters. And they're written by several people, but a lot of them are by Paul. And then a after that is a book called Revelation, the Revelation of John, that is about um, the end of the world, written in a very um, kind of uh, coded way. So the letters that make up a bulk, a, a large portion of the New Testament, canon. And, and actually, they're the oldest writings in the New Testament. Um, they actually predate the Gospels by uh, a long time, uh, maybe 50 or 100 years, because the letters were written during the lives of the, of the followers of Jesus, the direct followers of Jesus, whereas the Gospels were mostly an oral tradition until much later. The Gospels that we have were not written down until probably 180 or so, and, and later, depending on, on the Gospel. But this letter that Paul wrote to the Romans was written um, probably either in the winter of 57 or the spring of 58 while Paul was in Corinth. And he was writing to, to Rome, which was the head of the Roman Empire, of course, but was really far away from where the church had started and where the church was flourishing. Most of the churches in, in, in the, the Levant, the area where the church was flourishing, were were started directly by Jesus' disciples. There was a church in Corinth and a church in Jerusalem and a um, church in Antioch and other places. And um, 
but the church in Rome was not had had not yet had uh, an apostle visit it, and so we don't know for sure how these churches started, but it's most likely that there were several small churches in Rome and that they had all been started by travelers who had returned from the area where the church was already um, being being built, being created um, under the, the disciples, and it kind of brought that back with them to Rome. And so they didn't have a very good teaching. Again, it was all, all oral tradition at this point, so they didn't, they didn't have a very good teaching. And so Paul wanted, uh, because he felt that he, he was the the, the apostle to the Gentiles, he, that he was the apostle to those outside the, the Jewish faith, he wanted to go to Rome to teach them, to give them a better understanding of how he understood the gospel. And so he wrote this letter as a way of telling them that he was coming. He was going to come to, the, to Rome, and here in this letter he provided the basis of what he considers to be um, the, the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and it is... Uh, it continues to be, to this day, uh, an important document in the in the canon. Now, our reading comes from relatively late in the book. The, the, our reading actually comes from uh, the twelfth chapter, um, and so there's there's eleven chapters before it, and 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 uh, I I believe Romans is only fifteen or sixteen chapters in total. So it's not very it's not there's not much after it. And then the earlier chapters, he he talks a lot about belief and faith and grace. And he talks about how um, salvation is not not through the law, not through the way we behave, but through grace of through the grace through the grace of God, through Jesus's um, saving efforts uh, that we are that we're saved. And so, this is really a very universalist message because what what Paul is saying is that it's not the it's not the the things you do that that save you it's it's completely up to the grace of god whether you're saved or not it doesn't it doesn't matter what you do and of course we believe in the universalist church that that god will save everybody and so likewise we think well that's right it's the grace of god and god's going to save everybody eventually uh, so it's not what you do that saves you but nonetheless paul provides this long litany this list of of things that you should do to to be a good Christian in the world. And in this chapter, he gets into the, to what it means to be, to live as a Christian, what, what, it, what it means to have a lived faith. Because although we often hear that about Christianity as belief, that we often hear, you know, um, uh, do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? <clears throat> and that belief is what saves you. <clears throat> the truth of the matter is that Christianity is not just a belief system. It's about changing your life. It's about making the world a better place. And so to do that, you have to change yourself. You have to change the way you behave in the world. You have to change your own understanding of the world, your own understanding of yourself. And you have to change the way that you are in the world, the way that you act, the things that you do, the things that you say. And it's hard. It's really hard to, to embrace those changes and, and to live into them. And so what Paul is, is saying in, in this part of Romans is that it's important that we do that. So let's, let's look at the, at the text in a little more detail. So the, uh, the first verse here goes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So what does he mean here? So I appeal to you, therefore, it's obvious in the Greek uh, that underlies this, that this is a, um, a rhetorical structure, a, a method of writing that is shifting the focus. So in the previous 11 chapters, he has been making a claim. He has been, he has been, been providing a proof. He has been showing that, that these things are true and here they are. And now he's saying, therefore, therefore, all that stuff I said before, therefore, brothers and sisters, you should present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So what this means is that your life should be a sacrifice to God. Why this was important to Paul is that in his day, most religious people, um, including Romans and, and uh, Greeks and Jews and everybody, usually saw religion in a very kind of transactional way, right? So if you wanted something, you went to the temple, to the house of the gods, and you performed uh, a ritual or you provided a sacrifice Especially in Judaism, there was, there was a lot of different sacrifices for different things that, you know, God needed this. If, if you had done this, then you needed to bring these things for sacrifice and, and such. And it was a very legalistic, very transactional framework. And so you would go and do the sacrifice or the, or the ritual, and then you would leave. And when you were, when you were outside of the temple, that was not uh, a time to be spiritual or religious necessarily. It was... You know, your your interaction with God was inside the temple, in the the confines of this transactional idea of sacrifice, and so one of the things that that Jesus talks about so much is is that you have to live your life, like your your whole life, for God, not just your sacrifices. And so Paul is just saying the same thing here. He's saying it's you know going to to the temple and giving sacrifices is not helpful. What's helpful is making your body and your life into a living sacrifice, doing things that are acceptable to God, that, that make God um, uh, happy. The next line here says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, just like, like today, in Paul's day, there were a lot of things that were considered okay in society. Not necessarily legal, not necessarily good, but considered okay by various groups, depending on what group you were in, um, that that by the Christian standard would not be considered acceptable. These are all things that you know, we could probably think of these things. So, um, for example, you know, cheating, lying, stealing, um, war oppressing the poor, um, oppressing the foreigner, treating people as less than human, you know, as just a, a, a means to an end, as a commodity to be bought and sold, um, abusive relationships, uh, misuse of money. These, these were all things that, that were rampant in Paul's day that are still rampant today. That, you know, you hang out with a, with a group of people and they think, oh, well, it's no big deal. We always do this. We always do this and, and we never get in trouble for it. It's no big deal. But what Paul is saying is that you have to be true to yourself. And you have to be true to your own convictions. You have to live your life in a way that is, that is um, a gift to God. 
the next uh, section here is kind of the uh, the meat of, of what we talk about. So he says, but by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So here he's saying, don't think too highly of yourself. Be be humble. Understand that you can't do it alone, that you are that you don't know everything, that some people are going to know more than you, that some people are going to be able to do things better than you. And he continues, for as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. So, it's important when, when you live your life as a Christian, when you try to really take the, the teachings of Jesus and let them change you and let them uh, change you for the better and help you make the world better, that you are humble, that you, that you realize your own limitations, your own, as my seminary professor used to say, your own finitude, your, your own finite being, that you cannot do everything. Uh, it's a hard lesson. It's difficult, especially in our society that tells us that if you just try hard enough, no matter what, you can make it. Uh, lift yourself up by your own bootstraps. You're your own person. But we all are dependent. We all are together in this, going the same way. He says, you know, for as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. So just as your body has many parts, fingers and toes and eyes and ears, and all those parts have a specific role to play and all are dependent on the others for for continuing life so too is the church the church is is a body that has many members all with their own abilities all with their own shortcomings and we have to work together and we have to realize that we're all dependent on one another um, in in that goal um, in that community of the church and not just the church i mean uh, society is, is, is the same. Life is the same. Everywhere is the same. It's just that we use the church as our example because that's the community that we're talking to right now. But I mean, this is true anywhere. Um, we're all in this together and we all have different abilities and different shortcomings. Next, he talks about gifts. He says, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry and ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. So here he's just listing off a list of things. Different people have different abilities, and we should rely on the people to, to do what they can according to their own abilities. Um, and we should rely on one another, and we should, we should bring what we have, uh, what we can bring for the good of the, of the whole. So... How does this come back to my uh, my campfire story? Well, you know, when I was a campfire leader, I was really focused on being one member of the body. I saw myself as the leader. I'd been kind of been kind of trained for that in the Boy Scouts and in other things to kind of take on a leadership position. And I saw myself in that position, but I didn't think that I could do it alone. I didn't think that it was all about me and that I was the campfire group. I was trying my best although I'm sure I didn't always succeed, to be humble and to realize my own shortcomings and to find other people who could help. And when we worked together like that, when we each had our part that we did, when we each gave what we could give 
the group worked so well. It worked better than than perhaps any group I've been in since. Just a, was a beautiful thing to behold. And so we are called in the same way, especially in a small church like ours, to bring our gifts, whatever they may be. Some of us will have gifts of time. Some of us will have gifts of money. Some of us will have gifts of organization. Some of us will have specific training that is helpful. Some of us um, will have gifts of music, gifts of, of teaching, all of these things. And when we bring the gifts we have and we work together, we can make the kingdom of God on earth come ever that much closer to reality. We can, we can be one body together in the church. And so today, what I leave you with is this, this uh, exhortation to, to be the church. Be the church, not only in our own group, not only online in our, in our Facebook messaging and in our, uh, in our live streams and in our Zoom uh, Bible studies, but also in the world around you, uh, to make a, make a change for the better in the world, to bring your gifts into every situation and ask, how can my gifts be helpful to God? How can my gifts be helpful to my fellow human beings in this situation? How can I be a servant to others? as God asks me to be.